that 
covenant is still in effect with the visible nations of Israel, including this nation, Ephraim, in which we live. And God can still judge our physical nation by the terms of the old covenant. You and I are under the terms of the new covenant. Uh, the spiritual promises and the spiritual conditions. But our nation is still under the terms of the old, and it can be either blessed or punished under those terms. Now, what, when the Old Testament or the Old Covenant was given, uh, there was a pattern formed there, which, which uh, uh, Paul mentions here in Hebrews, but it was after the pattern showed on the mouth. Up in verse 5. So, let's go back to today, Leviticus 26. Now, I read the beginnings of uh, the covenant that he made there in Deuteronomy 28 last week. And I stopped at the end of the sermon just short of the curses that would come if Israel would not obey. Now let's begin Leviticus 26 with the same thought in mind because these are parallel chapters and essentially contain the same material, only there are different details given in each chapter and we need to see it all. But understand that when this nation was founded, uh, it was founded under the terms of the Old Covenant because it's still in effect. Moses is called a prophet uh, in the scriptures, and what he said here is still in effect. Now, they were given it in person in that day, and they rejected it in person and as a nation, and the cursings came upon them. So we can look back today and see, as a matter of history, what happened to a people who said, yes, we will do what you say, and then turned around and did just the opposite? And we can look at our nation today and see that same pattern uh, occur, because there were people who came over here, some of the first settlers, who were keeping the holy days, who were keeping the Sabbath, were not keeping the pagan uh, holidays, and we had the opportunity to establish a God-fearing, obedient nation before God. But those were few, and they were not listened to. They were spurned and turned away from. Our nation was not, was not even formed by people who called themselves Christians. I think there's a misunderstanding among a lot of Americans who look back on George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, uh, Thomas Jefferson, and others in that day, <clears throat> excuse me, as if they were Christians. They were not. They were self-proclaimed deists, D-E-I-S-T-S. And a deist essentially believes, yes, there was a God, or is a God, but he came and created man, and then he went off to a far part of the universe and is not involved in the affairs of men. He doesn't guide, doesn't direct, doesn't oversee, he just is hands off. And that is their belief. He might have made us, but he's not interested in us now. He's not involved. So they formed a constitution the best they thought they could form, and those men go, it's pretty good. It's not Bible, but it's pretty good. Uh, but that government was overseen by 43rd degree Masons, of which George Washington apparently was one, and he wore the Masonic guard. Uh, and that's why Washington, D.C. is laid out in Masonic fashion. The streets are, and why Greek and Roman architecture is there, 
or based on the gods of ancient Rome and ancient Greece. So God is not in the picture and hasn't been since very, very early when some of the first settlers came. And we have devolved ever since into a disobedient nation. Now, had we done it differently, here's what God says would have happened. Chapter 26 of Leviticus. You shall make you no idols, no graven image, neither rear you up a standing image. Of course, we know the New World Order is about to raise up an image of the beast. Neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Eternal, your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Eternal. And we departed from his Sabbaths right away. He has plural Sabbaths here, meaning not only the weekly Sabbath, but the annual Sabbaths as well. Those did not last long in this nation. And today only a very, very few uh, keep them. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall reach to the vintage, and the vintage shall reach to the sowing time, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. Now that's quite a statement there. He says, you will have so much abundance that sowing and reaping and preparing the vintage or making the wine, all these seasons will run together because you will be so fruitful. Now remember Genesis 49 said of Ephraim that his boughs would run over the wall, that he gave us everything we could need. And we started out trying at least some to obey God and certainly doing so. And God blessed this land to a great, great degree. And that blessing, to some degree, has continued ever since. I think over time it has begun to diminish, and it is diminishing very rapidly right now. But this was the most blessed country on earth. So God keeps his word. He says, I will give peace in the land. And you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. We have bragged in this country, and I've heard it since I was a child. We've never had war on our own soil. We've always been able to fight our battles on someone else's soil. And that essentially is true. There was an attack on Pearl Harbor in Hawaii, and we did have a few Japanese troops land in the Aleutian Islands shortly. But to really no avail, they did not really come into the main part of the country where the population was, and they certainly didn't have any victory, and we didn't fight them through our own streets. So he fulfilled that promise, even though we were not as godly a nation as we should be. But even in my lifetime, I know we still considered ourselves a Christian nation and followers of Christ, if in name only, mostly, uh, at least we were still considered that. That cannot be said today. I will rid evil beasts out of the land, neither shall the sword go through your land. So, we have not been a land that has been attacked by uh, evil beasts, nor have we been afraid of them generally as a society. There are places on earth where uh, people fear in Asia and Africa, South America, all kinds of poisonous snakes, all kinds of predators that are predators of men, leopards and lions and uh, tigers and various things. And they have reason to be afraid. They even have little beasts that provide malaria and other tropical diseases. But we 
simply have not had in this country. Uh, we, we don't have to live in fear of snakes generally. Uh, and the ones we do have that are poisonous, or varieties, uh, they're not generally that dangerous to us. And many people have survived rattlesnake bites without even having antidotes. So they don't always kill you. But some of those buggers in Australia and South America and Africa and Asia, you die very, very shortly. And there's very little that can be done about it. So God didn't even put those things here much in the first place. And what we do have have not been of any great danger to us. Just a, a very occasional bear or mountain lion attack, something of that nature, but it's not something we live and walk in fear of. And the sword certainly hasn't been through our lot. And you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. And I have to say that God has blessed us in the past in terms of war and victory over our enemies. And with the wherewithal and the wealth that we have had and the capacity to make war machines, we have certainly put thousands to flight with our airplanes and our other military equipment. For I will have respect to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and establish my covenant with you. Now I think he's gone way far and beyond and over the top in what he gave us and in what he has continued to give us in spite of our continuing fall into sin and further from him. God has been so merciful, so gracious, so patient with this nation over time in spite of ourselves. You can't say he has not fulfilled his part of what we are reading here. And you shall eat old store and bring forth the old because of the new. And that has generally been the case. We have had, I've seen government storage of various products that was almost mind-bending in terms of, of grain that is stored up in huge silos, in terms of uh, dairy products, butter, uh, in buildings in a line as long almost as you could see up in Wisconsin, I think it was, where I saw that. So we've had plenty, and we've always had a reserve in store. So we could eat the old and bring forth the new and store it. And I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. Now he's been withdrawing more and more from our nation as time has gone on, and he's pretty well abandoned us by today because we have not obeyed him. Verse 12, And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. Just think how close a relationship we would have with him today as a nation had we simply obeyed him and kept his Sabbaths, both the weekly, the annual Sabbaths, and the land Sabbaths in which he promised to bless us if we would do that. And we would have the old store to eat during the years that you don't plant. God would have been right here with us and overseeing everything and making sure that everything was abundant. And he would have dwelt among us and overseen us very closely. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. A, long, a very close, loving relationship between God and man would have ensued. I am the eternal your God which brought you forth out of the land of Mithraim that you should not be their bondmen. He took them 
out of slavery and gave them freedom. They went into the land and they messed up there and the cursings came back upon them. He gave us a new start in this land and he gave us 430 years. He gave it back to us, the 430 years that were lost in Mitzrayim. By the end of that 430 years, in 2017, God passed a judgment over us, as Amos very clearly shows, and it changed. We are now beginning to see the results of that judgment that God made, I believe, there in 2017. It didn't hit immediately, as Ezekiel says, but it is now coming upon us. So, we have put ourselves in the bondage of Babylon over these years that we've been here. He said, and I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. So they weren't bent over as slaves anymore, but made upright. Well, that's what God did for them. Then he says, verse 14, But if you will not hearken to me, and will not do all these commandments, and if you shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that you will not do all my commandments, but that you break my covenant, my agreement, my contract with you, I also will do this to you, I will even appoint over you terror, terrorists, consumption, and the burning ague that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. So even if we do plant a crop, he says, I will change things. You won't have it yourself anymore. Your enemies will eat it. Pretty different picture than what we just read about. I will set my face against you, and you shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. You live in paranoia and fear, when there's not even anyone chasing you, you'll think they are, because of the chasing they did do and the sword they put you to. Well, here we are today, locked down as a nation by man, by politicians, over a virus which some of them are even beginning now to admit was overblown, and that many, many, many more cases were reported than actually occurred. And they wrote down all kinds of causes or things that caused death as virus that weren't. Anything you died of, basically, they wrote down as coronavirus. Now, they're beginning to try to lift some of those restrictions. But God says here, he's going to bring it. Now, I read that about the Old Covenant at the beginning in Hebrews 8. Because that is what we are being judged under. So when we go back here, this is that covenant. And it is still in effect. It is old, but it is still in effect. So our nation is being judged by it. And we have not been an obedient nation in any way. We have forgotten all of God's laws. We are living as we please. And no one, essentially, in this country cares that much about God anymore, and even the ones who claim to do not keep his commandments, saying they are done away. So, let it be clear that when God said he would give us these blessings, as we devolved further and further into disobedience and paganism and Satan worship and all the things we're into today, he was very, very slow to remove those blessings. And it has only been here recently that 
we'll begin to see these things come down in terms of cursings. So, praise be to God, he has been patient and merciful and kind and given us every space and chance to repent. And the gospel was somewhat pretty well preached across this land by Herbert Armstrong back in the 50s and 60s and Ted to some degree later. And it went all over the nation, station after station, and it was true, and I've experienced it, that you can drive from ocean to ocean across America and be able to pick up the World Tomorrow broadcast anywhere you were, broadcast after broadcast, day and night. It absolutely covered this country. It didn't cover the whole world by any means of the same way. But the U.S. and Canada, pretty much so. How much heed was taken. Everybody you talked to had heard of Herbert Armstrong or Garner Ted Armstrong pretty much in the 50s and 60s. It was well known as well known as Billy Graham and and uh, the others. Well, oh yeah, I'm sure there were people around who hadn't heard of it, but most people you spoke to, and, and I did frequently in those years, had heard of it because it asked me, well, what do you do? And I'd say, well, I'm a minister for uh, the Church of God uh, connected with the World Tomorrow Broadcast. Oh, okay, yeah, I know that. It was there. It was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. So God gave this country a chance. And some could have heeded and obeyed and spread the word, but everywhere you tried to spread the word, nobody wanted any part of it. And some of you tried it with your friends and relatives, and they wanted no part of it. So it's not as if God did not offer it to this nation. He did. But we despised his judgments and his commandments. Now, what we are going to be reading here in the rest of this chapter is the things that are now coming on our nation and will get worse and worse until we are not a nation anymore. And they're going to proceed very rapidly because God says this will come upon us in Revelation 18 in an hour and in a day. Both are mentioned there. Uh, they don't mean 60 minutes or 24 hours, but it means a very, very short period of time that it will take for all this to come on us. He says in another place it will come on us suddenly, and we won't even grasp where it's coming from. So when he finally removes, and I think he did, his blessing and turned it from America, turned his face from America, and I believe it happened in July and August of 2017. There has been a bit of a delay, but now it is starting to come upon us very, very rapidly. And here we are locked down. Uh, we never did that for any other disease. We didn't do it for the flu or the polio epidemic or anything else. And this has been worse. I mean, those have been worse every year than this really has been. But it was an excuse. So what it tells me is that God has turned Satan loose and said, go ahead with your destruction of Ephraim and begin your new world order. And Satan knows that this nation has to go down. This nation has been riding the beast. We have been in control and charge. And the one lone remaining superpower on earth, with China and Russia are catching up again. But we have been the power on earth, meeting up on anyone we wanted to, as Jeremiah calls us, the hammer of the whole earth, hammering anyone we desire. And they hate us for it. And now they are preparing to defeat us. 
under the auspices of the United Nations, many, many peoples joined together in a confederacy, which is another word for a conspiracy, against America. And Isaiah 7 says, don't listen to those who say there isn't one. There is. Don't fear it, fear me. But he's talking to his people there. He's talking to the church there. That we are not to fear. But the nation had better fear. So, you'll sow in vain, and your enemies will eat it. That means they're going to come in and take over. What you normally would eat, they will eat and put you into captivity. I will set my face, verse 17, against you. You shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when none pursues. I read that. But it ties in with Ezekiel 5 through 7, where Ezekiel laid on his side 430 years for us. And after that, God says, this destruction will come. So he has used this old covenant in the end-time prophecy there in Ezekiel to say that because you haven't obeyed me, the United States today, one-third will die of famine and pestilence, one-third of the sword, and the other third into captivity, and a sword after it. And he didn't say it would come immediately at the end of 4.30, but very shortly thereafter. <laughs> it won't be again like the echoing of the hills, like we've heard since 1975, if you will. But it will come pretty quickly after. And we have a couple of indications that in the third year, which is where we are today, and it is within that third year that this coronavirus uh, virus was released on us as a bioweapon. It's not a regular flu. It was developed specifically to be turned loose and to affect the world and especially us. And if they can't keep us locked down over it, they will come up with something else. They're already talking about a more virulent strain that has appeared uh, our president, <clears throat> this was last week, declared a state of emergency over our power grid. Uh, why? Maybe they'll hit it next, or maybe terrorists will hit it next. Or there are a number of things that they can do to make things hard for us. Uh, they're cutting the food supply lines and that chain. I was in the biggest market in Canyon City, Colorado yesterday to pick up some food for today. And the paper goods shelf all the way down is still almost empty. And now the meat counter was almost empty. There, were, there was some meat there, but not very much. And we're reading already that there's going to be a meat shortage, poultry, pork, beef, all of it. And perhaps other things will come to be short as well, because these, the food supply now is particularly controlled, well, most all controlled, by five or six mega corporations. And they can destroy food and destroy the supply line at their will. And we're in the hands of people who are globalists and want us destroyed. So that may be the next thing they pull on us is withdraw food or withdraw much food. And that would have us on our knees in a hurry. And God says right here, you'll sow your seed in vain and your enemies will eat it. So our food supply is going to be affected. He doesn't always say in the prophecies just how it will come about. It could be natural, uh, drought, and famine, or it could be unnatural, caused by men. The effect is the same, and men are very, very willing to destroy us. So Satan may use them as the ones to bring most of this upon us. 
Certainly the sword will be brought upon us by Satan and his minions, and so may the famine and the pestilence. Because this pestilence that we are suffering today, this very day, was put upon us by man. And so will the next one. And whatever is being done in the food supply and chain is basically being done by man. If they take down the electrical grid, it isn't going to be God doing it. It will be man. So, our own people and foreigners as well are involved in destroying this nation and reducing its population down to less than 10% as Ezekiel shows. God's face is against us. But historically, when God turns his face from people, he sticks Satan on them and lets him do the dirty work. And Satan is worshipped by many of the leaders of this land and other globalist global leaders. So we'll flee when none pursues. Verse 18, that means we're just going to live in fear. And if you will not yet for all this hearken to me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. So he's going to send famine and pestilence and disease. And here he says, I'll make it seven times worse. So what we're experiencing today is going to get worse. Not better, but worse. Now they're talking about signs of recovery here and opening up somewhat there. Don't count on it. Believe God. It'll get worse. And I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass. Our, power, our pride and our military power is going to be taken away. Our military will do us no good. And a heaven of iron and brass and earth as brass means it won't produce crops. And your strength shall be spent in vain. Whatever you try to do to save yourself won't work. For your land shall not yield her increase. Neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. You see, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And God has allowed him, and especially recently, to have control over weather. It isn't God that has to stop the rain or has to bring it in long amounts. Satan can do that. Remember back in Job's day, when, he, when Satan sent a tornado to kill his children? So he has the power to use weather to destroy. That's just one example. There are others. So he can do this and cause it not to produce. So he can use the weather, he can use climate, and he also can use people. And I see right at the moment, he's doing a combination of that. We have some terrible weather in the mid Midwest where our main crops grow and a very low yield on crops last year. And that has carried over some of it into this year. And we're running out of food, as are other nations. And if you walk contrary to me, and will not hearken to me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. So he says it's just going to increase and increase. It'll get worse and worse for you. And we are in that phase now. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. I don't know whether that's referring to uh, all, all of it referring to animals with fur or whether it will be robots and man-made animals and men themselves who are 
reacting as beasts. It could be some of all of the above. But there are increasing uh, reports of mountain lions and bears in cities, in areas where they have not normally been that much. Now they have packs of mountain lions. They used to be more solitary. But we got pictures now of people in their driveways with four or five mountain lions in their driveway. Now where is this going to lead? Mankind says, well, or a lot of Americans say, well, I'll just go to the mountains and I'll eat deer and I'll be fine. Well, there are only so many deer, and the lions each eat a deer a week as, a, as an average. Now, you get that many people in the woods shooting everything they see to eat, it won't last long. And then the lions and the bears will become very, very hungry. And then they will invade and start eating your dogs and your cats and your children and anybody that they can catch outside. And then people will be afraid to go outside and the highways will become desolate. You've noticed over the last couple of months that there's not near as much traffic on the highways out of lockdown and fear. It's beginning to increase again, but the next wave is coming. Notice he says, I'll increase it seven times, and then seven times more. Verse 23, And if you will not be reformed by me, by these things, but will walk contrary to me, do you see any repentance in our nation today? Do you hear any call to turn to God and to repent and change our way of doing things? No, not so much. Then will I also walk contrary to you, and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. So, first comes lack of food, uh, famine, and plagues. What's next? I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when you are gathered together within your cities... I will send a pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. We are gathered together today in our cities for pestilence. This is being fulfilled. <clears throat> and it's going to get worse instead of better. Now notice he says you're gathered, you'll get pestilence. Now what is this, what's, what's next, verse 26? And when I have broken the staff of your bread... Our food supply. What do you start reading about now? Not just the coronavirus killing people, but now our food supply is being interrupted. <laughs> Starting with meat, which we like best. And when I have broken the staff of your bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven. In other words, there will be scarcity of anything to bake, and it would take ten women to make to get enough ingredients to make you a loaf. And they shall deliver you your bread again by weight. And you shall eat and not be satisfied. So you'll just get a little bit. <clears throat> it's interesting when he says famine, pestilence, your enemies will gather and your food supply will be impacted. And we see the pestilence, and we see the beginnings of lack of food already happening. Excuse me, I need to swallow water, my throat's going. And in verse 27, And if you will not for all this hearken to me, but walk contrary to me, if you don't repent, if you don't repent, if you don't repent, you keep saying it over and over, you're going to go on in your own way. Then I will also walk contrary to you also in fury. He's getting more and more angry. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. Now notice 
Yes, it gets worse. Verse 29. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall you eat. Does that indicate disruption of the food supply? God declares it. It's a today prophecy. It's waxed old, but it is going to be used one final time to punish the nations of Israel for their disobedience to God. So yesterday I saw a shortage of meat. Pretty soon there will be none. And people in this nation are going to be eating their children. Another place it says they'll eat their mates. I think that's in Deuteronomy 28. I will destroy your high places and cut down your images and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols and my soul shall abhor you. I will make your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation and I will not sniff or smell the savor of your sweet odors. I'm not going to listen to you. Don't even pray. And he tells us in Jeremiah, don't even pray for this nation. It will do no good. Now God's pretty adamant here. And he says this is the way it's going to be if you don't repent. And this nation hasn't repented. And it is not going to. That has become obvious. Not until this, all these prophecies are finished. And 90% of our people and more are gone. And then he brings the next area that Ezekiel talks about. I'll bring your land into desolation. Your enemies which dwell therein shall be amazed at it. And I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you and your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. Well, that's exactly what Ezekiel 5 through 7 say is going to happen to Israel, and specifically to Ephraim, the leader of Israel. And it is the third thing, the scattering and taking into captivity. That has not happened or started yet, but it isn't very far behind the famine and pestilence and the sword. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate, and you be in your enemy's land, even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbaths when you dwelt upon it. Now remember, historically, he's talking to Israel who under Joshua went into the promised land, and they disobeyed, and he says there at the end of Deuteronomy 28, that if they broke the covenant, they would be taken into captivity in ships. And that indeed happened. Uh, Jerusalem here was destroyed, and Israel, the Israelites here, were taken into captivity by ship, in the North Africa, the Middle East, and finally wound up hundreds and hundreds of years later in Northwestern Europe. And this land enjoyed its Sabbaths all these hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years since that occurred. What was left behind here was mainly a mixed race, a mixture of black, white, and brown that were here, and when we were taken out, what is known as an American Indian remains, and they did not hardly plant anything. There were a few who planted a few little gardens, but mainly they were hunters and gatherers, and the land lay desolate and was not tilled and had its Sabbath rest. God said it would have its rest, and Israel did not give it its rest, did not obey the Jubilee cycle and the seven-year cycle, and as a result, God gave it 
thousands of years. That's why he says Jerusalem and the land would lie desolate. And it indeed did. Now this time, it will not lie desolate all this time, because these cursings that are coming now upon us and have already started are going to be very short-lived. We will be decimated very quickly when the millennium is not far off. So this will be a very, very rapid destruction this time, and it will be revived into a millennial context very, very quickly because this is the last round. This is the last time that Israel has broken the covenant of God and is being punished for it, and then his mercy will come, as we'll see at the end of this chapter. But historically, this has been fulfilled. This land lay desolate for many generations. Verse 36, And upon them that are left alive of you, I will send a faintness in their hearts in the land of their enemies, and the sound of a shaken leaf shall chase them, and they shall flee as fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when none pursues. Living in terror after all this happens. And they shall fall one upon another, as it were before a sword, when none pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. And you shall perish among the heathen. And the land of your enemies shall eat you up. That's what Ezekiel says, is a third of you will die of the sword, or will go into, into uh, captivity, and I'll send the sword after you. So that, that one third that go into slavery, <clears throat> many of them will be killed by the sword as well. in your enemy's land. Verse 40, If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary to me, well, admit what you've been. Admit what you've done, how you've lived. And that I also have walked contrary to them they see the reality of the situation God abandoned or turned his face from. And they brought them into the land of their enemies. And says, it's, you better recognize it's me that is behind all this. Just as it was God who scattered the church, who spewed it out. We have to recognize who did it, why he did it, and then repent. So what was written back here for that historical nation is here for, first, the church today to repent of our Laodiceanism, and then it's for our physical nation, who is about to go through all that is said here, for them to repent and to go into the millennium if they survive, or be repentant when they're resurrected in the second white throne and the uh, white throne judgment. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham will I remember, and I will remember the land. The land also shall be left of them, and shall enjoy her Sabbaths, while she lies desolate without them. So they're gone. The land lay desolate. But if they'll repent, he'll bring them back. Well, some did, and God has done this whole thing over again here in the end time by bringing us back to this land and giving us another opportunity, and now we've blown it. So the final fulfillment of all these curses is descending upon our nation, and it's already hitting. <laughs> the land will be left of them, and it will lie desolate. Because they despise my judgments, and because their soul abhorred my statutes. And yet for all that, when they be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, neither will I abhor them to destroy them utterly. They won't be completely wiped out. 
break my covenant with them, for I am the eternal their God. God didn't break the covenant. We did. Remember Paul said he found fault with them and gave us a new covenant with spiritual promises and a comforter and a help, helper, the Holy Spirit, to help us keep that new covenant. And he is going to save us out of this destruction that is coming on our nation and bring us to Zion and let us live in peace and safety and not be afraid of our enemies while our nation is going through the terrorism that it is now beginning to suffer. This coronavirus is an act of terrorism. It is a bioweapon designed probably by partly the U.S. government and partly the Chinese who have collaborated on releasing it on the world. Now, they've come to the point that they would release something like this and lock us down. They do not intend to give up. Once Satan has been turned loose, and I think he has, it will get worse and worse. And God will allow him to do more and more, as we've been reading here. He says, I'll make it seven times worse, and seven times worse, and seven times worse. So he will allow it to get worse and worse, and let Satan do it to us, and those who are under his jurisdiction, the so-called world leaders. But he won't destroy us entirely. Verse 45, but I will for their sakes remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought forth out of the land of Mitzrayim in the sight of the heathen that I might be their God. I am the eternal. So he's going to give them space to repent and still be part of his kingdom. Those who survived this and live on into the millennium and those who died in this holocaust and come up in the great white throne judgment to have their opportunity. They will have been humbled by all this. America will not today listen at all. Only a very, very few respond to God truly. And he will bring them out and protect them. And those who will not repent of Laodiceanism, and spiritual blindness will be left in that tribulation, and hopefully they'll repent during it. Let us do all we can today, brethren, to realize the plight of our nation and the plight of the church, and be thankful that we're given, being given full warning, that we're given a chance to be what we need to be, and to serve God with all our heart. Because if we will, he's promised that he will remove us, and we won't have to go through these terrible curses that are now coming upon our nation in a legal sense, because the old covenant God has not abandoned, but our nation has. And he is punishing it under that legality. <clears throat> So it is not only now pronounced, judgment has been passed, and the punishment is now being unleashed. And it will get worse and worse and worse until we are destroyed as a nation. So this isn't prophecy now, it's reality. It is happening today as we speak. And it will get worse until this nation is destroyed. Be safe. Not in your home necessarily, as they say, isolated, but be ready to come to Zion, where God says he will be a wall of fire and a blessing to those who are faithful, and he will gather, gather them from around the world, from the four corners of the earth, to come and build and dwell in his promised land, of peace, happiness, and security. It's only going to be offered to a few thousand. 